The following message by Dr. Matt Thornton is part of a series through the life of Christ. Jesus Christ only lived 33 years on earth and died a few miles from where he was born. Yet his life and death changed the world. Has he changed you? Join us on this journey from Bethlehem to Jerusalem as we follow the Lord from his birth to his resurrection, preaching some of the most amazing events recorded in Scripture. Sevilla Martin was the wife of a Baptist preacher in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And once she and her husband were working in New York helping another man compile a songbook when one Sunday morning she became suddenly very ill. And her husband was ready to cancel his preaching appointment uh, that morning because it was some distance away. Naturally, he felt the need to stay home and take care of his wife. But the story goes that their son spoke up said, Father, don't you think if God wants you to preach today that he'll take care of mother while you're gone? So Brother Martin went and preached. And when he returned, his wife was much improved. In fact, while he was gone, Sevilla had written the lyrics to a brand new hymn. Brother Martin sat down at his organ and composed the music. And that song ended up being printed in the very hymnal they were working on. And believe it or not, it was a song we sang earlier in this service entitled, God Will Take Care of You. Sevilla Martin also wrote the song Brother Richard just sang, His Eyes on the Sparrow. Our focus this morning is that Jesus can take care of you. We're going to see that truth demonstrated in a very concrete way by one of the most famous miracles in the life of Jesus when he miraculously fed a crowd of well over 5,000 people with one boy's picnic lunch. This was a very pivotal event in Jesus' ministry. It was so important that it is the only miracle outside of the resurrection itself that is recorded in all four Gospels. And our main text this morning, I could have chosen any four you know, of the, of the Gospel stories, But our main text this morning will be Mark chapter 6. And I'll refer several times to John 6 as well, and later we'll read a little bit there. So Mark chapter 6. And many of you have heard this story before. Some of you may have even thought that the focus of the sermon, that Jesus can take care of you, it's very basic, very simple. And on one level it is. But trust me when I say that there is meaning and application in this story that runs deep. And we don't want to miss it because both the disciples and the crowds initially did. There's a little different application for the disciples than the crowds, but they both missed the true significance of what Jesus did when he fed the multitudes. This miracle teaches so much more than just Jesus' power over food. So stay focused with me this morning as we study this miracle, and let's pray that our hearts and our minds are open to consider the depths of what Jesus was teaching with this this miracle. Believe it or not, we are all of a sudden two years into Jesus' public ministry. That didn't take long. We've only been in this series for, for a few weeks, right? Only one year remains before his crucifixion. And this story begins with Jesus and his disciples trying to get away from it all by withdrawing to a remote mountain in Galilee. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 32. 
And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. We're going to stop there for a minute and sort of set some of this context. We need, we need to understand a few things so that we understand why they're retreating. Part of the reason for this withdrawal is the growing hostility of the leaders towards God's kingdom. By this time, the religious leaders that are typically more in Judea, more around Jerusalem, they have already accused Jesus of being empowered by Satan. John chapter 5 and verse 18 records that they were already trying to kill Jesus because he healed a man on the Sabbath and claimed that God was his heavenly father. But the hostility was not just with the Jewish religious leaders. There was also political powers that were growing hostile towards God's kingdom. John the Baptist, who had prepared the people for Christ, who had immersed Christ, who had pointed out that this man Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist had been arrested and beheaded by one of the political rulers named Herod Antipas, who just so happened to be the son of Herod the Great, the man who killed all the babies around Bethlehem when Jesus was born. John's death is significant. All of the synoptic gospels mention it just prior to this miracle. You can glance back up at Mark and see that. So this hostility and danger, including John's death, partly explain why Jesus withdrew. But the other side of this is that it explains why there is such a fever pitch of anticipation among the people. What would Jesus do now that John has died? The people of Israel are so ready for a king to deliver them from Rome. And that's sort of the other side of the coin of why they retreated. Even though the leaders hated Jesus, this story comes at the height of his popularity among the people. Jesus had previously sent his disciples out with authority to heal, to, uh, to cast out demons, to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And now we read they have returned with reports. They were busy. There were times they were working so hard and their mission was so demanding that they didn't even have time to eat. And Jesus recognized that they needed some rest. They needed some time away. They needed some time away from the demands, the pressure, just some time to regroup, be refreshed, just spend some time alone, just them and Jesus. And so for both of those reasons, the hostility and the popularity, Jesus and the disciples try to secretly get in a boat and sail across the Sea of Galilee. It's tough to make a secret getaway on the Sea of Galilee, though. I'll come back to why that is in just a minute, but let's read the rest of the story. Look at Mark 6, 33, and let's read through verse 44. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people... And was moved with compassion towards them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. 
And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all, and they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. That word in verse 44, men, is not your generic word for people. It's the specific word for males. The number 5,000 does not even include women and children that were there that day. Easily, there could have been 10 to 15,000 people there. So back in verse 33, so much for the vacation. It's tough to make a secret getaway on the Sea of Galilee because it's not really a sea, okay? It's more like a small lake in our minds. On a clear day, you can see across the whole thing from one shore to the other. And so when people saw Jesus and the disciples get in a boat and take off, they started running around the sea. And based on the geography, it's very possible that the disciples can watch the crowds run around the sea while the crowd is watching, are watching the disciples sail. And I wonder if the disciples are thinking, you've got to be kidding me. We need a break. I wonder if Peter and the other fishermen try to row so hard just to beat the people across. But the people actually beat the disciples across, it seems to indicate there in verse 34. And they may have beaten the boat. And when Jesus and the disciples got ashore, they, they kind of kept going and they went up a mountain. The crowds just followed. So much for this restful day for the disciples. And I, I'm sure they were frustrated. And I don't think that's reading into the text because we know they needed rest. And we know at the end of the day, they are so ready to send this group home. We'll see a little bit later that their hearts were hardened. Jesus could have used the rest too, I'm sure. But when he saw this crowd coming to him, Mark tells us that he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep that didn't have a shepherd. These people had no leadership. They had no one to care for them, no one to protect them, no one to spiritually feed them. John the Baptist has just died. Pharisees weren't much leaders, were they? Brother Connor mentioned last week, they didn't, they didn't feed the people God's truth. All they cared about was money, keeping their traditions and looking good for the people. The Sadducees, another religious group, they didn't even believe in the resurrection. 
These people were leaderless. So how could the good shepherd not look upon this crowd with compassion? And this compassion word, it's a deep-seated affection. It's literally built off the word for intestines or bowels. In Arkansas, we would say innards or guts. And the point is that at the deepest gut level of Jesus, he cared about these people. He had this deep-seated affection for them. This is not the only time in the Gospels where the writers mention that Jesus had compassion. But every single time this is mentioned, this deep affection within him worked its way out into tangible actions. Every time. And that's something we can sort of stop and understand and apply to our own lives. If we're going to truly follow the example of Jesus, then our inward compassion for others, hopefully we have that. It needs to manifest itself outwardly. You don't truly have compassion on someone if you're not willing to help them. You can talk about how sorry you feel for someone else's struggles all day long, but if you're not willing to act, who cares? Didn't James teach that? James wrote about the man who saw his fellow Christian in need. He needed clothes. He needed food. But instead of actually providing for the man, brother just said, be ye warmed and filled. And James pretty pointedly asked, what good is that? We better be thankful that Jesus didn't just feel sorry for us. His compassion led to actions. And here in this specific story, it led him to do two things. He healed the sick and he taught them. Mark doesn't mention that he healed the sick. Luke does. Luke 9.11 says he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So Jesus is healing their sick. He is teaching them. Don't overlook the fact that before he filled their bellies, he filled their hearts. Jesus made them whole before he made them full. Fed them spiritually before he fed them physically. Mark wrote specifically that he began to teach them many things, which is just a way of talking about continual teaching. This was a day filled with teaching. That's the most important responsibility of a leader. Here's a group of sheep that don't have a shepherd. So the good shepherd's going to take care of them. And he's going to teach them. The most important job of a pastor is to teach the people God's truth. So this was an incredible day for the thousands of people who flocked to Jesus from all these villages surrounding the Sea of Galilee. But it was not the quiet, restful day the disciples had hoped for. So in verse 35 through 38, as this day slowly turned to evening, the disciples took advantage of this. They felt it was time to dismiss the crowd so that the people could go eat. Jesus, they didn't bring any food with them. We're on this remote mountain. They need to go home or at least go back to the villages where they can buy something. But notice verse 37. Jesus actually commanded the disciples to feed the people. He said, you all give them something to eat. And I love the way Matthew words it in his account. He adds this statement of Jesus, they don't need to go away. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. 
We're going to come back to that command a little bit later. But in John's account of the story, Jesus also asked the disciples a question about where they could even buy bread from. And obviously when Jesus asked the question, he wasn't searching for a solution. Okay, Jesus didn't ask the question to brainstorm. John specifically tells us that he said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus asked this question to test Philip, and I think by extension the other disciples as well. In a situation where people had a need, and Jesus has issued a command for the disciples to meet that need, would Philip and the other disciples rely on Jesus to give them what they needed to give the people? Would they trust Jesus to supply what, what they needed in order to carry out his command? And we'll come back to that in a little bit later. But Philip and the rest of the disciples, they weren't thinking on a spiritual level, just on a physical level. And so they start questioning a little bit more. 200 penny worth of bread. Verse 37 mentions, your translation may use the word denarii. It's about eight months worth of wages for a regular worker. Eight months. That's a lot of money. But there were so many people there that day that if we've got eight months' worth of salary, that's not going to be enough. Feeding this group was beyond hopeless and a little ridiculous. So Jesus then asked him, how much food do you actually have with you? And then John's gospel records us there was a boy who had five barley loaves. And when we see loaves, think of just cakes or biscuits almost, not slices of loaves of bread like we have. Um, not that that even mattered if it was five loaves of bread. You're talking about 15,000 people here. But these little biscuits of barley and two fish, that's it. Thousands of people there, that's all the food you got. And in John's account of the story, there's even this sort of apologetic tone in Andrew's voice when he mentions this to Jesus. He actually says, but what are they among so many? Jesus, we got this picnic basket of food, but I can't even imagine I brought it up. I'm sorry. What are they among so many? So verse 39 through verse 40, the disciples' resources to feed this crowd on their own, they're completely inadequate. They don't have the food. They don't have the money. But that didn't stop Jesus. Jesus commanded the people to sit down in these organized groups, 50s or 100s, which I love. God is not the author of confusion, right? This isn't going to be a chaotic all-you-can-eat buffet where everybody runs when they bring out the hot rolls and, you know, and everybody fights over the ice cream machine. This is not going to be chaos. Sit down in groups. And Mark specifically adds this detail that I love they sat on the green grass. John's gospel mentions that this is Passover time, that the Passover is approaching. So we know this story happened in the springtime. Sometimes we tend to picture Israel as this wasteland of rocks and dirt, wilderness, and parts of Israel fit that description, but not where this took place. This took place in northern Israel in the region we called Galilee, and, and you know that. Galilee is gorgeous. It's green. 
it's lush, there's vegetation, there's trees. So when you see these phrases or this, this word in this story about this is a desert place, don't think Sahara Desert. It just means remote, okay? This is, this is a removed mountain. It's a desolate mountain. So we're in springtime in Israel. Galilee is gorgeous. And grass covers this remote mountain. And the Lord of all creation sits this group down in, into companies on the grass. And in verse 41 and 42, Jesus took this small meal and he looked up to heaven and he blessed it. John's gospel said he gave thanks. Don't gloss over that. Jesus Christ, the creator of all, thanked God the Father for what had been provided. Let's make the obvious application. Right? Our focus today was Jesus can provide. Jesus can take care of you. You be thankful for the food God provides you and every other provision of God. And sometimes that involves saying a formal blessing before a meal. That's a good thing. And it always involves having a thankful heart when you eat. There are countless people in this world who are hungry right now. I've never missed a meal or even been worried about it. I don't know what that's like. I do know that whether you live meal to meal or whether you have a pantry filled with food, you better be thankful to God for his provisions. Too often people complain about what they don't have instead of being thankful for what they do have. Can you imagine Jesus complaining here about only having one little meal? Father, this is terrible. We got one meal and 15,000 people, but I guess thank you. Of course Jesus wasn't like that. He thanked the Father for what he provided, and it's really powerful because from an earthly standpoint, this food is barely enough to fill up the boy who brought it. And yet Jesus has the boldness to stand before a high school football crowd and thank God for one meal. He blessed the food and he broke it. Started dividing it out and handing it to the disciples. And I can't explain it all. Apparently he just kept on breaking it. He just kept on dividing it, kept on handing it out. As Jesus gave it to his men so they could serve the people, what seemed like a limited supply wasn't so limited after all. It wasn't running out. It wasn't even running low. Jesus just took that food and multiplied it. And that's, that's the physical miracle here, right? He just, he just made more food. They ate bread from barley that never grew and fish that never swam in the Sea of Galilee. The creator just created similar to how he turned water into wine. Notice verse 42, that they did all eat and were filled. Don't overlook that. Okay, Jesus could have taken away their appetite. That would have been a miracle. He didn't do that though. And that's important. Jesus did not take away their need. He met their need. He provided what was needed. Jesus can take care of you. But the story does not end right there. 
And it's important for the disciples that it doesn't. In verse 43 and 44, something pretty interesting happened. In John's gospel, Jesus commanded the disciples to go through the crowd and gather up the leftovers. Mark's gospel just simply notes it happened. Isn't that kind of funny? Did it really matter if they gathered up leftovers? Jesus can make as much food as he wants. Who cares if we gather up the the remainders? One author wrote, infinite resources does not justify waste. And I like that comment. But there's more here than a lesson about not wasting food. Jesus was teaching the disciples a twofold lesson, and we'll start getting into that. When they gathered up the leftovers, they filled 12 baskets. Now, obviously, that's more than they started with. But more importantly, how many disciples were there? Twelve. So with this, Jesus is teaching this, these, this group of men not to forget their purpose. If they would serve others first, they could trust that Jesus would take care of them. You think back to this whole day. From a human perspective, we understand the disciples' frustration, their desire to send the crowds away. They're tired. They've been working hard. Sometimes they miss their own meals because they've been working so hard. And now they just wanted some rest and quality time with Jesus. And these other people are getting in the way of what's important. No, these other people are what's important. You feed them. And if you'll serve them first, I'll take care of you. It's something Jesus has been demonstrating all day, right? His own compassion led him to serve others. As a church and in your own daily life, when we know of a genuine need, help the person. Put that person's needs ahead of your own. That's your purpose to serve others. In the early second century, there was a philosopher named Aristides who wrote an apology, a defense of the Christian faith that he was going to present to Emperor Hadrian. And his biggest defense for the truth of Christianity was was the life of Christians. And he mentioned this, that Christians, if they know someone is hungry and they don't have excess, they will fast themselves for two or three days so that they could give that excess to their brothers or sisters or whoever needed food. That's serving others first. That's putting the need of someone else even ahead of your own. Paul told the Philippians, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. He said, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And he wrote, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Never forget that your purpose is to humbly serve others and you just trust that God will honor that and take care of you. Don't selfishly worry about what you need. God already knows what you need. Didn't Brother Connor read that last week in the Sermon on the Mount? Those are things the Gentiles, the heathens worry about. But Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The disciples did not grasp 
how Jesus would care for them and provide for them if they obeyed and served others. In fact, I can prove to you they didn't grasp it. Look down at verse 49 through 52. That very night, they're sailing back across the sea and they get caught in a windstorm. They could not make it across. These are fishermen and they can't get across a lake. Verse 49 through 52. But when they saw him, Jesus, walking upon the sea, they can't get the boat across, but Jesus can just walk straight across it. They supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up into them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Why were they so amazed with Jesus' power here? It's not that it's not amazing for him to walk on water and calm, calm the storm, calm the winds, rescue them. But Jesus has just demonstrated he can take care of them. He just showed them that. But their hearts were hardened. They weren't truly getting it. They weren't truly understanding it. And so that's the first layer of application for the disciples is you men take care of other people first, and I'll take care of you. For the second application, think back to Jesus' command that you feed them. What were they supposed to feed them with? They didn't have anything, right? They had one little meal. They didn't have enough money. Their resources were completely inadequate. Well, they ended up giving the crowd what Jesus gave them. Now, obviously, that's true of any physical food that you have or that they had any sort of physical blessing that you helped someone else with. You can't give someone anything that God has not already given you first, okay? But there's more here than just physical help. I want you to jump ahead now to Mark chapter 8 and verse 13. Mark 8, verse 13. We'll read some verses in just a minute. But we're picking up here at verse 13 after Jesus did it again. He fed another multitude miraculously. And once again, the disciples failed to see the sign behind it. Okay, look at verse 13 through 21. And he left them and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because you have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? Having ears, hear ye not? Do you not remember? When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. He said to them, How is it that you do not understand? What were they supposed to understand? Well, that Jesus can take care of them? Yes, Jesus wasn't worried about bread. 
He proved that he can take care of them with, with the fragments that were left over. But Jesus is not worried about food here. He's teaching them something deeper. When Jesus warned them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod, that was not a warning against uh, or about unhealthy food. It was a warning against their false teachings. So here's what the disciples needed to understand. The disciples must teach the people exactly what Jesus taught them. Remember Jesus commanded them to feed the people? Would they trust Jesus to give them what they needed to carry out that command? Their own resources are inadequate. Would they just give the people what the master gave them? About one year after Jesus gave that command, he would be crucified. He wouldn't be on this earth physically anymore. And it would be the disciples' task to feed the people. Isn't that what Jesus told Peter three times to do after his resurrection in John 21? Feed my sheep. What are they to feed them? You give them exactly what I've given you. You teach the people what I've taught you. Don't give them any false teaching of the Pharisees or Herod or any other false religious leader. You watch out for those teachings. So just like with the physical miracle, where they just took food Jesus gave them and handed to the people, the disciples must take spiritual truths from Jesus and hand those spiritual truths to the people. And we can apply that today for us in our church. We must teach the Bible. Not every group that has the word church on their sign actually does that. But that's all I have to give. My resources are inadequate to feed you. I've got nothing to offer you except the Bible. We have to give people what God has given us. Feed people truths from the pantry of the creator, not from the table of false religion. Not from Hollywood. Not from the front page, not from any man's opinion. God has given us the Bible and we need to give it to people. Those are a couple deep lessons for the disciples. They didn't get it initially. Serve others first. Trust Jesus to take care of you. You give the people what God has given you. But there's also a deeper application for the crowds as well. Yes, the miracle demonstrated that Jesus can provide whatever is physically needed. I hope we all know that. You should trust God to provide for you. Provide for you. You should thank him when he does. But you are not thinking deep enough. You are not thinking spiritually enough. You're missing the entire sign behind this miracle if food is all you're worried about. If your only hunger comes from your stomach, you're missing the point. You need a hunger and thirst after righteousness. Brother Connor read that last week as well. And Jesus said that if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be filled. What are you going to be filled with? Look at John chapter 6. While you're turning to John 6, let me sort of update you on the context. After Jesus fed the multitudes that day, they were ready to crown him king. 
I would too, right? It'd be awesome to have a king who could feed you every day from one little, one little meal. Never be hungry again. So they're ready for that. But Jesus knew that. And he knew it was not the father's plan. So he retreated again. The next day the crowds found him. But instead of praising them for their persistence or bragging on them for following him, he rebuked them. Look at John 6, 25. When they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, well, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, the day after he fed them with a picnic lunch, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What work dost thou? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Look at verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. That's the deeper point of the miracle. The crowds didn't get it. Jesus Christ can take care of you spiritually. He can take care of you. I hope you trust him for everything you need. It's the grace of Jesus that puts air in your lungs and food on your plate and clothes on your back. But Jesus can take care of you on so deeper of a level than that. He can take care of you spiritually. He took your sin and your shame upon his sinless shoulders and he took that to the cross. And he died in your place to provide everything you could ever possibly need spiritually. To stand in front of the Father forgiven and righteous. And if you'll trust him, he'll forgive you. He will give you eternal life. Give you everything you need and take care of you today, tomorrow and forever. Please trust him to save you. If you've never done that. This miracle was a turning point in Jesus' ministry. I'm coming in for a landing. 
I mentioned that this is the only miracle outside of the resurrection that's recorded in all four Gospels. Why was it such a turning point? Look down at verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. This was at the peak of his ministry. He had 10,000 people or more ready to crown him as their king. We might say this is the apex. This is the loudest note in the crescendo. But when Jesus called out their motives, began teaching a bit tougher, they deserted him. People are fickle, aren't we? I shouldn't say they, aren't we, right? The night before they're ready to make him king, now they went home disappointed because he wouldn't feed him again. And this was the beginning of the end, we might say. We could use our phrase, it's all downhill from here. In one year, Jesus will be crucified. Next week, Brother Doug will dive more into the tougher teaching, this more demanding and this shift in Jesus' ministry as Jesus starts teaching more about his death, preparing his disciples for that grueling moment when he would be gone and they better feed the people. That's our job today. And Jesus has given us everything we need to do it. We better obey. Let's stand. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this story. Thank you so much for Jesus' compassion, obviously his power. But help us to go beyond amazement that he can make food Help us to understand how he can provide spiritually for us for all eternity. And thank you so much that he was willing to give his life on the cross. I pray that if someone here today needs to trust you as Savior, that that would happen this morning. Help us to trust you to provide for us, Lord, individually and as a church. Help us to serve others. Please honor that when we do that and provide for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.